Um, and so Sarah is a priest at St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. Um, and her husband, Josh, is also a priest, and he's a rector of Holy Spirit Church, also in Houston, Texas. And Sarah's a regular contributor and board member of Mockingbird Ministries, which many of you are probably familiar with. Um, and her stuff really stands out on the blog and in the magazine. Commend it to you. Um, she's also a mother, uh, and her four-year-old son, Neil, is an expert blanket dancer. That's his uh, hobby. When Sarah asked him what sport he wants to play, he said, well, is there a, a blanket dance class that I can take? And uh, t- her toddler daughter, Annie, is uh, often described as sturdy. Um, I hand it over to Sarah Condon. So we're going to pray again, if for no one else than for me. Um, The Lord be with you. Gracious and loving God, thank you for drawing us to you. Thank you for loving us all the way to the cross. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. We pray for the one who teaches, for her sins are many. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start by talking a little bit about why your minister, um, the canon, uh, Matt Schneider, and I landed on this theme for the retreat. So um, we started talking about a merciful rest several months ago and praying about it and emailing each other. And I'm really into churchy catchphrases. And I feel like the Episcopal Church doesn't have enough of those. So I think it's high time that we get some theologically sound ones going. Part of the reason I'm into these is because I live in Houston, Texas, which is where Joel Olstein has his church. Um, And if you're not familiar with Joel Olstein's church, it's called Lakewood, and um, people make a holy pilgrimage there on a regular basis. Joel Olstein has uh, really awesome teeth and really awesome hair, and he brags about how he didn't go to seminary, which is helpful for people who went to seminary to hear. Um, he'll tell you to name and claim a blessing in your life, which does not work and is not in the Bible. Um, and his latest book is called You Can and You Will, which also doesn't work and also isn't in the Bible. <laughs> but Joel's very consistent, so I give him that. Um, so I'm really into hashtags, and so I was thinking about what could we call this conference, what could be our hashtag. Um, If you don't know what a hashtag is, it's the pound sign on your phone. Only people use it on the internet now. Um, So our conference hashtag is merciful rest is best, or just MRS for short, so M-R-I-S. Okay. (laughs) So I want to start off by talking about the stuff in our lives that actually keeps us from resting. Um, And while I would love to complain about iPhone usage or our need to over-program our kids, I actually want to start with talking about uh, rest and church culture because I want to assert this morning that no other institution in this era has done more to damage mercy and rest than the church. Um, I'm so glad that you all worship at a grace-filled church like the Advent. I've learned I'm supposed to call it the Advent. It's like Saint Advent, but the Advent. Um, you know how lucky you are. I mean, you must, because some of you may have not come from churches that preach the gospel so clearly. Um, 
I certainly have been at some of those churches. And so maybe instead of the actual gospel, you have lived the gospel of what this morning I want to call righteous rest resistance. Okay? So these folks are not into a merciful rest. I mean, they want to be into a merciful rest, but there's just so much to do, right? So um, based on my experience, I think these righteous rest resistors come in two forms in the church world. The first form is you are a deputy for Jesus, right? Okay, you've made yourself one. Um, And the other one is you are a deputy for the world. So I've been in both of these camps at different points in my life. I'd venture to say some of you may have as well. So let's start with the first one. Maybe you think of yourself as a deputy for Jesus. So this whole idea comes from a good mockingbird uh, friend of mine named Aaron Zimmerman. He's actually a priest with me um, out in Waco, Texas. So Aaron talks eloquently about how this Barney Fife version of Christianity works. So when you're a deputy for Jesus, you walk around handing out morality citations to the general population, right? So you want to know slash demand if people are saved on your terms. Um, When you're a deputy for Jesus, you fancy yourself like a devout Christian moralist, like you get it all right all the time. Um, When you're a deputy for Jesus, you spend your busy days worrying about how everything is a teachable moment for like everyone around you but you. Um, you might, you might post things on Facebook about how, like, everything would be better if we just posted the Ten Commandments, like, in public school bathrooms. Like, you have these sort of thoughts. Um, when you're a deputy for Jesus, you only want to talk about Jesus in terms of him being super wrathy, right? So you're into stories about, like, you're, in, you're into, like, the, the sheep and the goats, but, like, you're always team sheep, and, like, everybody else is always team goats, right? That's how you think about Jesus, Um, Rest is the last thing on your mind because people have to be saved or at least they have to be told that their sins might make them unsavable, right? Um, There is no mercy to be found in this camp. So I am a child of Mississippi. So I uh, grew up sort of in and out of this camp throughout much of my childhood and I'm still kind of tired from it, right? So the second group of righteous rest resistors, instead of being deputies for Jesus, they see themselves as deputies for the entire world, right? So they are there on behalf of humanity to fix everything that is wrong with it, you know, because that's doable. So people of this persuasion aren't consumed with morality. They are obsessed with the gospel of being world changers, Be the change you want to see in the world. Every time I hear that, I think, poor Gandhi, right? Like, he had no idea the angry exhaustion that such a quote was going to create in people. I mean, like, every time I see it on a Starbucks cup, I'm like, ah, you know. Um, So, woe be unto you that does not hold up a banner about fossil fuel usage, lecture your friends about the evils of not eating local produce, or sign the latest online petition that's going to fix everything, right? Um, Often, this is so interesting to me, when I ran in these circles, I found there was absolutely no mention of Jesus on the cross, so I spent a lot of time thinking about this, because I love a a lot of the message of that group, but... Um, you know, they'll, they're, they'll, ha- they'll happily talk about, right, like um, Jesus feeding the poor and them feeding the poor, because that's doable. They can do that, right? 
Or they might even talk about Jesus healing the sick and then like they'll talk about how they go to Africa and give kids vaccinations or something, right? But Jesus on the cross, like they can't do that, right? So they're not going to talk about that. It's fascinating. It gets completely left out of their conversation. But I kind of think when we're righteous rest resistors, we're all sort of denying the cross and our need for it. We want to earn the cross. But whether we are deputies for Jesus or for the world, we are tired and doing a terrible job. So turn in your badge, deputies, right? It's time to get some donuts. Folks are always talking about, it's true, folks are always talking about being countercultural in these righteous rest resistor movements. And I say, like, take a nap. That's the most countercultural thing you can do right now. Um, these circles of Christianity out there like to tell us that we have to do our part and then God will do his. Um, like, imagine if I had started this conference by saying, all right, guys, here's your top ten ways, you know, to experience mercy or to be mercy. You've got to do your part before God's going to do his, right? Imagine how crappy that would be. I mean, that would be awful. Um, but I think it happens sometimes subtly in church culture all the time. So often these circles use um, a workaholic language in an effort to deny a merciful rest. Um, we are told things like we're in a cosmic partnership with God, which sounds awesome, but like, um, I think this stuff is well-intentioned, and maybe you all have figured out a way to meet our Lord and Savior halfway or to be in a cosmic uh, partnership with him. But I cannot stay on top of the laundry at my house. And, like, if it weren't for my husband, the dog would never get fed breakfast. So God Almighty does not want to be in some sort of a divine partnership with me because I would never hold up my end of the bargain, right? So this is me showing a little bit of my childhood. I grew up on um, 1990s country music. Um, do you guys remember the band Diamond Rio? Yeah, they were like a 90s hair band, but like country music. So they had, they had that song. I'm going to try to sing this for you guys just a little bit. So brace yourselves. If you know it, please join in. Okay, so it goes, you start walking your way. I start walking mine. We meet in the middle. Leave them old Georgia pines. Something. I can't There we go. Because we both give a little. I knew y'all would know it. I was like, I can't but this. I don't know it. Don't know it. Okay. So that song is not about God, right? Um, it's about a guy from Georgia meeting his high school girlfriend in the woods. But for the righteous rest resistance, right? That's kind of their theme song. We must meet God in the middle. Well, to that I say. Find a hammock and take a nap because Jesus does not want your crazy self walking around on his behalf. So church culture aside for a moment, because I could complain about church culture all day long, um, I want to talk a little bit about how secular culture views rest. So recently I read an article in The Guardian about a woman named Jeanette Winterston who fasted for 11 days straight. Um, and if that last statement didn't make you feel bad about whatever you had for breakfast this morning, she also worked out all 11 days, which is, like, I would have been a maniac. But So anyway, Jeanette Winterson thought fasting was the best thing ever. She wrote she cannot wait to do it again, saying, 
I would like to experience the profound sense of well-being and peace of mind that fasting delivered again. And I had more time. Think how much time shopping, cooking, eating, and clearing up afterwards takes out of every day. Suddenly, there was time to think deeply, to read, reassess, be with yourself, and make a new friend of your body. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> skip that. Okay. But do you hear what she's saying here? She's saying that fasting gave her time to think and to read and to be quiet. Essentially, she's telling us that fasting gave her time to rest. So that's my takeaway for you guys this morning, right? If you want to get more R&R in, you're just going to have to stop eating. Like, that's, that's where we are, like, now. That's the conversation. Rest is optional in America, and we are all opting out. In America, we love to talk about the possibility of rest, right? Namely, in the form of vacations, We spend loads of time researching these perfect trips, and then we never, ever take them. Um, So there was this article in the Huffington Post that had an almost satirical title. Originally, I thought it was from The Onion, but it said, Americans are too afraid to take vacations, yet we plan them at work all the time. So apparently they did this massive study and figured out that 69% of Americans have researched vacations in the past year, but only 40, but 42% of Americans didn't take a single vacation day last year, which is staggering. And then there was that study from the Netherlands, and you guys might have seen this. It was all over my, um, my Facebook feed. Um, so it was a study from the Netherlands that told us the most psychologically beneficial part about, about going on a vacation was actually the planning of it, right? Which is great. I think that's really helpful, encouraging information. But here's the problem. Most of the people who I saw posted this and talked about this said things like, finally, All that dreaming about going to France is not put to waste, right? It's just as good as going. Um, That wasn't the takeaway from the study at all, but people really attach to this idea, right, that they can just dream about vacations and they don't even have to go on them, right, that that's good enough. Is dreaming about vacations as good as going on vacations? Is dreaming about rest as good as actually resting? I have yet, and I've worked in uh, the secular world, and I've worked in the church world for a long time, and I have yet to work at a place that when, in the interview they don't say, you know, around here, what do they say? We work hard and we play hard. You know, everybody says that, right? I'm always like, what is, this playing hard sounds awful, but, <laughs> but I, you know. But I wonder if it's not just like work hard and then keep working while you dream about playing, right? Um, And while I wish I could stand here and tell you, take all your vacations, and it's so great that you're here, and my family's just like yours. We rest all the time. We're the best at resting. Um, We're not. So this past summer, we were visiting family for vacation, and I heard my beloved husband casually say to my aunt, he goes, yeah, I get five weeks, but I'd be surprised if we take any more time this year which was shocking for two reasons. The first was I found out we weren't taking any more vacation in front of extended family 
which, as you know, is the best time to f- pick a fight with your spouse, right? Like, <laughs> and the second thing was, um, I did not know that my husband got five weeks of vacation. <laughs> and he's always gotten five weeks. Like, it, it was crazy. It was like an insane conversation. This per- was particularly dramatic in my brain because my husband is the relaxed member of our couple. Like, I'm the high key one, right? So, Josh likes jazz. He takes walks in the forest. He makes pizza from scratch. Like, that's who I married, okay? And here he was just, like, giving up two weeks of vacation. And the thing was, like, I get it. His life and his work are incredibly demanding. And he just feels like he cannot step out of that stream. So I have my own version of this, but my experience with rest denial is not simply about giving up vacation. It is running from merciful rest at the times I have needed it most, and specifically that has been when I have had children. Um, I cannot tell you how many stories I have heard from new moms who have thrown themselves out of bed like 24 to 36 hours after giving birth, right? Um, it's like the new way to be victorious over our bodies. I totally did this with both my children. Um, and with our daughter, uh, we brought her home from the hospital. So she'd been born about, I guess she'd been born 48 hours. We brought her home from the hospital that day. And I was like, we should go for a family walk in May in Texas, right? With our three-year-old. He was then three-year-old boy in tow. And, um... And then I was like, we should get a picture of this and post it on Facebook, right? We should do that. And so, so we put it on Facebook, and all my Facebook friends posted this really nice stuff, like, you look so great. Wow, already out walking. Go, Sarah. But I felt like a total weirdo the whole time. I mean, I felt like I wanted to be in bed with our daughter holding her tiny body close, right? And... Um, I definitely felt like I didn't need commentary from Facebook, but there was something about me that longed for control in that moment, right? That wanted to look put together and lively despite the fact that we had just experienced the chaos that is having a child. So there was this one comment that was not a polite rally cry for me, and it was from this monk named Brother Andrew. Um, So Brother Andrew recently died, and I was lucky enough to share Brother Andrew as a spiritual director with Matt Schneider when we were in seminary. Um, So Andrew was the very definition of unfiltered. He was a Scottish recovering alcoholic, very colorful language, 80-something-year-old monk. I always think of Brother Andrew as like John the Baptist, only he didn't smell bad. Like that was kind of his thing. So under my photo, he wrote, just simply, nothing about the baby being cute, nothing. He just wrote, shouldn't you be laying in bed somewhere eating peeled grapes? And I was like, oh my gosh. The truth is, we will deny ourselves rest at all costs these days, right? So I've shared this story with several of my new mom friends, and I know it is not unique So many of us regret not laying in bed for three weeks with newborn babies. There is this societal push for us to all keep moving, right? Get our bikini bodies back, get the house cleaned up, get our lives back in order, right? Get it together. That's the thing we tell ourselves. 
But it makes sense because birth is this moment of profound heavenly beauty and totally otherworldly chaos. It is a moment when your body is going to do whatever it wants to do. And it's kind of like death in that way, right? So a few months ago, I was sitting with a dear friend of mine um, as she was getting chemotherapy for some really, really serious cancer. Um, I wrote this piece for you guys in July. That's when I started this. And I was praying that she was still going to be alive now. And she is, but just barely. Um, she is a priest, she's a mentor of mine, and she's loud, and she likes to tell jokes. So when we've hung out on chemo floors together, I'm always worried they're going to ask us to leave. Um, but in a moment of quiet, she looked up at me and said, do you know what I feel bad about? I feel bad about not blogging about my cancer. I mean, I look on the internet and all of these people are blogging about their cancer. Like they have all these life lessons they need to share, right? Life is short. People are precious. Most days, all I have the energy to do is to watch The Price is Right and try not to throw up my breakfast. So I've hit you with three examples of ways in our lives that we find um, rest denial. So dads, husbands who work constantly, birthing moms who think they need to be Gwyneth Paltrow, um, and cancer patients who feel unproductive, which may be the weirdest sentence I've ever written. Um, and I want to revisit these people a little bit in the next talk, but first I want to talk to you about why I think they exist at all. Why do they, why do we run from rest? Why do Americans only want to dream about vacations? And is fasting the only way that we're going to get some downtime in? I think if we can just keep busy, keep moving, keep working, then we never have to deal with who we are, right? We never have to be introspective. But we talk about being introspective all the time right now. It's everywhere. Like, we hang signs in our kitchens. Do you guys have these? I had one of these. I had to take it down. But that says, like, live, laugh, love, or, like, faith, food, friends, as though it's just that easy. Um, <clears throat> if I see another tattoo on someone, and I'm sorry if you have this tattoo, that says, uh, like, peace, breathe, or calm, I'm going to quit the Episcopal priesthood and open up a tattoo parlor that only does inspirational sayings because I think there is a lot of money to be made. Um, <laughs> based on what people post on Facebook, I think we must all be like these super deep Zen thinkers, always resting, always quoting, am I saying his name right, Deepak Chopra? Um, I mean, the internet, did I get it right? Is somebody like, no, I didn't get it right? It's fine. You can tell me later. Um, it's the first time I've said his name. That should give you a clue. Um, so you can post your deepest thoughts on Twitter, right? Like you can post um, articles about how to speak to your child more carefully. And then you can passively, aggressively forward them onto your husband in Facebook Messenger, which is awesome. Um, the Internet tells us how to be restful and introspective about everything, right? Like and we've just had one, the latest mass shooting. It's like, here's how you're supposed to process all of that. Dear internet, please tell me how I should think about everything. Like after all this introspection and self-analysis, shouldn't we have arrived by now? 
Shouldn't we all be really good at resting? Shouldn't we have pro-tipped our lives into perfection? Well, in a word, no. We are all weary, walking wrecks. And the internet makes an ill-equipped savior to us. So if we want to rest, then we have to face ourselves. We have to face our sins. And there is relief in that, I promise you. There is relief in acknowledging the things we have done and left undone. And maybe you're thinking, dang, Sarah, that doesn't sound like rest. That sounds like work. And maybe you're right. I don't know if I'd call it work exactly. (laughs) But I will say that resting can mean letting go of the things that we find most important about ourselves. Watching those things fall apart. And seeing Christ's mercy in our lives in a way that realigns how we've always thought of ourselves. So I want to begin to end just this talk um, with a word of testimony about me. I want to talk about when I began to let down my guard and to see King Jesus as the only thing about me that mattered. I want to talk about when I essentially learned to rest. So by my second year of seminary, Um, I was ready to throw in the towel. Um, I had given serious thought to giving up on ordained ministry and getting a job at Whole Foods. I had already applied, and at the time, cupcakes were really popular, and I was hoping they were going to let me um, oversee the bakery department, like this was all plotted out. (coughs) So this was all brought on because I had our first child, a boy named Neil, And as always happens when we have children, things in our lives uh, come into sharp focus. So suddenly the church made me really tired, like everything about the church made me really tired. I couldn't be enough. I couldn't give enough. I couldn't love enough. And then suddenly God, in all of his grace, had given me this baby who thought I was enough from the moment he saw me, right? It was staggering for me. So Matt and Holly had tried to get me to go to a Mockingbird conference, but they were vegans, and um, I have some pretty clear rules about protein intake and brain function, so I was like, "Eh." but really they were just, (laughs) you know, I was going to, but they're just, they were so nice, and I was like, I don't know, you're so nice. Um... So one of our mutual friends told me to go, a guy who is not as nice, um, a guy named Jesse. No, he's great. Um, he just said to me, you should go because you won't hear this stuff anywhere else. And that's all he said. He didn't tell me what this stuff was or why I wasn't going to hear it elsewhere. Um, and I didn't know what that meant, but I went. And Matt and Holly were there, and they were nice, and that actually helped. Um, I owe so much to God for putting me in the path of that and for putting people in my path who would lead me to it because I firmly believe that that conference saved my life. I realized that God wasn't calling me into doing more or into being more. He was just calling me because he loved me, right? He was calling me because I was enough, because he was enough not because I had done or said enough, not because I had proven anything. And that was a staggering moment of conviction for me. 
I actually think that I became a Christian in my second year of seminary. Um, and I, I, I just am kind of, I shudder to think at the kind of priest I would have become had I not experienced this restful good news. Um, I actually think I could tell you the kind of priest I would have become. I would have continued to believe that people can improve themselves, that I could improve myself if I just wanted it badly enough, right? I would have told you I didn't deserve a merciful rest because I hadn't worked hard enough for it. When the truth of the matter is, right, none of us deserve a merciful rest, but Jesus gives it to us anyway. When I was told about the rest in Jesus, I began to see my life as before Mockingbird and after Mockingbird. Because afterwards, I learned that his rest was the only thing that was going to save me from myself. So in the next talk, I want to delve more into scripture. I want to talk more about what Jesus has to tell us about rest and who he offers rest to, right? But before I break, I want to end here with a word from Robert Farrar Capon, um, he was an Episcopal priest, a writer, and a theologian. He is my all-time favorite theologian, hands down. Um, he had a failed marriage and a failed ministry. Um, and he's so open and honest about God's grace in the midst of that. Capon's like a cheerleader for grace, mercy, and rest. He stood on the sidelines and told everyone the game was over. So he says... The entire human race is profoundly and desperately religious. From the dim beginnings of our history right up to the present day, there is not a man, woman, or child of us who has been immune to the temptation to think that the relationship between God and humanity can be repaired from our side by our efforts. He says the point is we haven't got a card in our hand that can take even a single trick against God. Religion, therefore, despite the correctness of its insistence that something needs to be done about our relationship with God, remains unqualified bad news. It traps us in a game that we will always and everywhere lose. But the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is precisely good news. It is the announcement in the death and resurrection of Jesus that God has simply called off the game. I love that image from Capon. The game has been called off. So go sit on a bench, go up in the stands, get a hot dog and a beer, you know? You weren't a very good player to begin with. Our game, that's <laughs> true. Our game of proving ourselves to God has been over and done in Jesus Christ. And the best thing we can do, in fact, the only thing we can do, is to rest in that. Thanks, you guys.